I've been waiting weeks to preach this message to you guys, this week and next week's message. This, everything uh, that I, I started, this entire series was birthed out of uh, today's and next week's message. This is where it originated in my heart. I mean, I'm, dude, I'm pumped. All right, I'm, I'm really pumped. I'm kind of mad at Taylor for playing so long today. I was standing back there. I was just ready to get out here and preach, you know, so you guys, you guys are in for it for the good or the bad. I also want to go ahead and say this. <sighs> you're not going to like it. Single people, young people, college, teenagers, you're not going to like it. I'm going to tell you why I know you're not going to like it. Because I know maybe four years ago and before, I would have hated it. Some of the things I'm going to talk about today, um, I, would have, I would have almost disagreed with you 100%. Um, but the little bit the older I get, the closer I get to God, the more I've studied this and that God has just shown a lot of stuff to me, um, it's huge. It's huge. And so one of the things we've done throughout the course of this series is we've taken things that God says is top shelf and we've put them down on the bottom. We've taken things like marriage and we've put them down on the bottom. God says marriage is this super important, amazing part of life. It's a gift. It's an opportunity. And we've taken it we've dropped it down on the bottom. We've taken things things like sex. We've tried to separate it from marriage, and God says sex is this beautiful gift, and it needs to be up here on the top shelf. We've taken it, and we've dropped it down to the bottom. We've taken things like intimacy. We've almost thrown it completely out the window. We've taken things like love. God says love is this powerful, beautiful gift. It's something that comes from me, and, and I want you to experience it, but we've taken it, and we've watered it down, and we've flipped it, and we changed it, and we've moved it down to the bottom shelf, and then in the course of doing that, a lot of ways we've taken our own bodies, our own selves, our own souls. God says you're important. God says you're beautiful. God says you're valuable. But we've taken our bodies and we've taken ourselves and we've dropped them down to the lower shelf. And throughout the entire series, all we've done is we've taken some of these things and we've tried to just put them back up where God wants them. We've tried to just put them back up on the top shelf where God wants them. Can we turn this on? I feel like I'm in the darkness. Can we turn these stage lights on? There we go. Awesome. Now I'm not in a cave anymore. All right, and we've taken these things and we've put them uh Try to get them from the bottom, put them on top. And here's, here's where we're going to do today. We're going to do the same thing this week and next week. But we're going to talk about dating. And here's something I want you to understand about dating. I don't think that we have nearly the marriage problem that we think we have in this country. I think that we have a dating problem. I think that the process leading up to marriage is drastically broken in our culture. Drastically broken. Have you ever uh, had a business? You had a business, and, and uh, you, all these people are getting hired. And I, I remember thinking when, we were, uh, when I was going through studying some of the little stuff in business because um, they had this one scenario, and they were trying to figure out the scenario of the problem. And, and you've got this accountant that shows up, and this accountant's not a good accountant, and he winds up getting fired. And then there was this secretary who shows up, and she's not a good secretary. Well, I guess it could have been a he. That's a little sexist. But uh, he, she's not a good secretary, and so she gets fired. And then you have this, and you have this, and it says, now diagnose the problem. If you look through all these programs, all these different parts of this company, diagnose the problem. And I was thinking about it, and I wound up getting it wrong on a little test. But at the end of the day, do you know what the problem was, the business that we were supposed to see, that we were supposed to learn? It wasn't the accounting problem. It wasn't the secretarial problem. It was the hiring process. That was the problem. You had a guy going through the hiring process, and they were hiring all these bad employees. They were hiring a bad secretary. They were hiring people that weren't qualified to be an accountant, people that weren't qualified to be managers. It was the hiring process. So you fire the guy who's hiring all these bad people, and it fixes the process. That's what I think we're doing with marriage. That's what I think we're doing with dating. I think the way that we have dating, the way that we view dating, the way modern dating says to go about it, the process of dating is leading us into marriages that are set up to fail. That's what I believe in this country. One thing you might not understand about dating, and I didn't know it until I started doing the research, is that the way that when I say dating, the way that you view it, and the way that I talk about it, that type of dating, that modern dating has only been around for about 40 years. Did you know that? The way that I talk about dating, when I say dating, when you say dating, when you think, man, I'm dating somebody, that way that you think about it is only developed in the last 40 years. And really in the last 20, the way it, the way it truly is today. 
dating is just this, uh, this thing, you know, like it's modern dating is about finding the right person for me. And I want you to understand that. Would you agree with that? It's okay. You're wrong, but we, is, would you? But we would agree with that, right? Modern dating, modern dating, dating is about finding the right person for me. It's about going out into the world, finding somebody that fits me, finding somebody that's going to get along with me, finding somebody that's okay with my weaknesses, finding somebody that's going to make me happy, finding somebody that's going to make me satisfied, finding somebody that's going to serve me, finding somebody that's going to please me, finding somebody that lives up to my standard. It's all about me going out into the world and finding somebody who's good enough to date me. At the end of the day, that's what it is, right? Come on. I mean, that's what dating is. I mean, y'all, y'all, I mean it's, it's nothing crazy, but that's what dating is. I'm going to go out into the world. I'm going to find somebody. I'm going I'm to look for that right guy with that six-pack. I'm going to look with that girl with those curves. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure out what kind of job he has, make sure he's got enough money to take care of me and buy me all my bling-bling. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to search around the world until I find somebody that's got the right job, that's got the right career, that's got the right attitude, that's strong enough, that's man enough, that's woman enough, that looks the way I want him to look, that fits my standard. And it's all about finding somebody that pleases me. That's modern dating. That's what it's about. Zero concentration on preparing your own self to be in marriage. Zero concentrating on fixing your own weaknesses. Zero concentrating on figuring out if you're ready or not to be a husband or to be a wife. It's all about finding somebody that's going to make you happy, somebody that's going to bring you satisfaction, somebody that's going to please you, that fits your bill, that looks the way you want them to look, acts the way you want them to act, and make the paycheck that you think they need to make. That's what modern dating is all about. It's about finding somebody that's going to make you happy. Now, here's what I mean when I say dating the way we think about it has only been around for 40 years. Do you know that this new thing, dating with no purpose, that it has not existed in culture, in any culture, in the history of the world instead of the last 40 years? Now, there was a lot of people just kind of sleeping around, and there was some, there was some sex gods with some weird stuff going on in the temple, and there was a lot of affairs, and there was a lot of adultery. Sin's always been around. But the dating with no purpose, and is, you know what I mean? That means you're in ninth grade, and you're dating somebody you know you're not going to marry. What is dating? Dating is a precept to marriage. Dating is the process at which you go through to find somebody to marry. And so when you are in the ninth grade, you are not stupid, so don't make yourself sound stupid. You know deep down inside, no matter how many times you lie to her, you aren't going to marry that girl. Right? Come on, Romeo and Juliet. That's not going to happen. There's two people right now, they're in ninth grade and they're dating. They're like, oh, crap. (laughs) You know Good and well, because you're not a fool. You know you're not going to get married. You know you're not going to marry that girl. Girl, you know you're not going to marry him. You can write all the little love letters all you want, and you can think, listen, he's going to grow up. One of you smarter than the other one. One of you is going to go to a better college. I'm for real. One of you is going to get involved. One, you're, you're, the way you think, the way you change, from ninth grade to 12th grade, you're going to so dramatically change your view on life. You're not going to marry them. Do you know that we change more from 15 to 18, 18 to 21, and then 21 to 25? Neurologically, it's a dramatic change in the way that we think, the way that we view life, the way that we see things. 15 to 18, 18 to 21, 21 to 25. And in the course of that time, you're going to realize, man, she's stupid. You know what? He's got a six-pack, but, man, he's not going to be able to hold down a job because he's an idiot. You ever seen the new commercials with Rob Lowe? Everybody, I love those commercials. You've seen the one where it's the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the Rob Lowe and then the, uh, the Rob Lowe who peaked in high school? Dude, that's the funniest one. I'm still the captain of the team. He's working at Domino's when he's like 50. No offense if you work at Domino's. Domino's is a great career choice. Love it. But the idea, 
is that man, who you fall in love with or who you give yourself to in junior high and high school and sometimes even college, dude, they're going to change so much and the things that you find attractive to them at that time period just aren't going to seem as attractive later on in life and you're going to leave. It's dating with no purpose. That didn't exist before the hippies took over in the 60s. Sociology, it's true, man. That's facts. Did not exist. It was the free love and free sex. and the, I mean, you guys don't have the hippies, man. Dude, I like hippies all the same. They're great people. But listen, they showed up. They brought with them this culture that said, dude, it's just we can just have some sex and just have some fun and just hang out and we can date with no purpose. That didn't really exist much. I mean, that did not exist. Do the history. Do the research. Dating with no purpose didn't exist. That's a new thing that's going on in our schools and in our young people in our society. Dating, knowing. It's the summer fling. How many of you had a summertime girlfriend? Come on. <laughs> Only honest kid. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Dude, summer shows up. Listen, I don't want to be alone. I want to hang out. We're going to have some fun. We're going to get on the lake. And I know when school comes back in, it's over. How? Let me break this down. How many had summer camp girlfriends or boyfriends? Show up on Monday. There we go, Caleb. There we go. Show up on Monday. Listen, there's going to be five days of some awesomeness. Now, I know you're from Virginia, and we're not going to carry this thing longer. Let me break it on down. Let me go ahead and just show how horrible a person I was. How many had three-day conference girlfriends? This is no lie. This is no lie. Met this girl. I went to, uh, I went to an old thing called Winterfest. Met this girl. They stayed in the hotel, uh, hotel room next to us. I made out with that girl. I'm just going to be honest with you. She was hot. All right? We made this whole thing. Man, we're going we're we're to carry this thing on. I knew deep inside. I was like, nah. <laughs> it's going to be three days done. That's what it's going to be. Girl sent me a postcard every year for like five years. Dude, I mean, she was like, she was thinking this. But that's what we do, man. We date with no purpose, man. That's just what it's about in today's society. We know we're going to date, we're going to mess around, we're going to go, we're going to give ourselves away, we're going to get emotionally connected and have a, gain a few emotional scars, and we're going to give our, ourselves away sexually, and we're just going to do that thing, and that's just what it's going to be about, and we know there's no purpose, and when we get old and we get mature, then we'll get married, right? The problem is, is that when you date with no purpose, that creates a very toxic habit that you carry with you way into your serious dating relationships, and many times we carry it way into our marriages. The second part of dating that, that we don't really that we haven't really seen before on a social level, based on this fact right here. Only way to know if they are right for marriage is to act like you're married. Modern dating, I'm telling you. This is your logic. We're gonna laugh at it, and you're, some of this is even gonna sound like it makes sense, and you're gonna think, I mean, I and I'm gonna make you feel stupid, all right? Because I felt stupid. That's just the way it is. This is our mentality, modern dating. The only way to know if they're right for marriage is to act like you're married. The only way to know if they're act, let's act, let's have some sex, let's get emotionally connected, right? Let's take it to the next level. Let's move in together. Let's get financially connected. Let's just see what happens. Let's just check it out. The only way to know that if you and I are good for marriage is to act like we're married. True or false? Is that modern culture society? Is that the way we view it? Can we please, can we just not be silent? I mean, that's the way we think, man. That's the way I thought for a long time. You want to know who's right for marriage? You've got to act like you're married. And here's the thing. All this is, all this is, is test drive dating. That's all it is. I just bought me a new truck. I love my new truck. Anybody remember my old yellow car? Man, I thought that was so cool for like a day and a half. All right, I got a really good deal on it. That's why I bought it. All right, but when I was going around, I was looking for months. I was online. I was looking. I had an idea of what I wanted. 
I had an idea of the kind of car I want. I had an idea of what I want on the inside. I had an idea of, of what I wanted it to be black. I knew that. I wanted to stay away from yellow forever, all right? But uh, I wanted it to be black, so I'm looking online, and I'm looking for little trucks, and I'm looking for this, and I'm looking for that. And, and I finally I find one I think that looks good on the outside. I'm like, I really like that. It comes with a good price. So then I go to the, I go to the store and I, or the dealership, and I go in. I say, listen, I'm going to check this car out. I saw it online. It looks good from the outside. We show me on the inside, and they show me around. They want you to test drive it. So I got to test drive it, and I went and drove it around in the city. Well, 16 and 73, biggest city we have around here. Drove it around 16 and 73, took it out on the highway, revved it up to like 70, tested it out on the highway, drove it around. They're like, you know what? You can keep this. You can keep this tonight. You can take it home. So I took it home, showed it to Courtney, drove her around our little neighborhood in it. She loved it. Test drove it, man. I just figured out, man, this is it. This is what I want to do. That's what we do when we test drive cars. When we, when we go around, we want to buy a car, we test drive. We'll drive the Beamer for a little while. I'm a preacher. My wife's a teacher, so I didn't test drive a Beamer. But we want to drive the Beamer for, that was a joke that I'm poor. We want to test drive, <laughs> test drive a Beamer for a little while. You drive the Beamer around, take it home, keep it for a day or two. You know what I mean? Just see what it's like on the inside. See what it's like. You're testing what it's like to really own the Beamer, right? Then you can take it back. I want to do the Cadillac. Apparently, this analogy, somebody's wealthy. You know, you take it back. I want to test drive the Ferrari while we're dreaming. Why not? You drive the Ferrari around. You just want to make sure. Dude, that's all dating's become. You're test driving your girlfriend. You're test driving your boyfriend. That's exactly what it is. You're saying, let's act like we're married. Right, let's fall in love like we're married. Let's have intimacy like we're married. Let's be emotionally connected like we're married. Let's be physically connected like we're married. Let's be sexual like we're married. Let's be neurologically connected like we're married. The problem is you're not married. And you're going to have all these emotional scars and these, these, these mental scars and these spiritual scars and these physical scars because you're not married. But that's what modern dating is. It says, you want to know, you know who's good for marriage? Act like you're married. Listen, and I want you to understand something. It may make sense. And it may seem a little wise from the world's standards. But I want you to understand the Bible says there's two types of wisdom. There's God's wisdom and there's the world's wisdom. At best, at best, this makes sense in the world's wisdom. But now I'm going to share some statistics with you. In the early 2000s, I want you to understand this. You need to write this down. You need to research it. Back me up. Do your own research. In the early 2000s, 60%, almost 60% of all marriages were preceded by cohabitation. That means they lived together before they were married. That's the full extent of test driving. That's be financially connected, be emotionally connected, be sexually connected, be physically. Well, I guess you could not be socially connected. I mean, sexually connected if you didn't want to be, but more than likely you're sexually connected, you're emotionally connected, you're totally connected. You're test driving this relationship. 60% of the marriages that took place in the early 2000s, 60% of all marriages preceded with cohabitation. That would make you think that if this thing worked, what? Divorce rate would go down, right? Right? That's what, that's what it means. That's what, test drive a car, that's what it means. 70% of those marriages ended in divorce. Out of, the, out of all the marriages that took place, 60% of them were preceded by living together. Out of those marriages that were preceded by living together, 70% ended in divorce versus 45% in a divorce that did not live together before they got married. You want me to say it again? Out of all the marriages, 60% of them were preceded by people living together before their marriage, test driving their relationship. Out of that 60% of marriages that were preceded by cohabitation, 70% of those marriages ended in divorce versus 45% of marriages who did not live together before they were married ended in divorce. That means there is a far greater chance of divorce if you live together before you're married. 
Does your logic make much sense now? The Bible definitely doesn't back it up, and now social economics doesn't back it up. The top three reasons, they say sociology, top three reasons you can almost bet on a divorce if these three things are true. And in this order, the most important thing that will lead to divorce is getting married or choosing to live together before the age of 23. Okay? It means you're too young. You don't know what's going on. You don't know enough about yourself yet. And you're making decisions before the age of 23. It doesn't mean... It has to be that way, but that's what they say. One of the number one indicators of divorce later in life is getting married or choosing to live together before the age of 23. The second is the time frame at which you meet to which you live together or you get married. So that means you could be 30, but if you know in six months you're living together and in nine months after that you're married, they're saying that is a huge, massive indicator. And the third thing is just strict cohabitation. If you act like you are married but you are not married, it is a massive indicator that you will end, your marriage will end in divorce and unfaithfulness to throw in on that. So let me put this in. If you are under the age of 23 and you met somebody and you chose to move in with them before 14 months, which seems to be that number, and you live together, before that age of 14 months and over the age of 23, there is a 92% chance you will experience some type of unfaithfulness, separation, and or divorce. Think about that. Do the research. Google it. And let's say this. Well, anybody can come up with a statistic. Anybody, what if they're even close to right? What if they're even 60% right? What it says is it does not work. The world's way does not work. The way modern dating views, it doesn't work. And there's three big reasons why they say that it doesn't work. The number one reason is test drive dating is founded in selfishness. It's solely founded in selfishness. Who's going to make me happy? Who's going to please me? Who's good enough for me? Who lives up to my standard? Who's going to be able to deal with me and all my issues? Who's going to be able to take care of me? Who's going to be able to provide for me? These are, answer, these are questions that do need answered. But with test drive dating, it is all about selfishness, what I want, and there is zero preparation for becoming the person you need to be in order to make the marriage successful. Does that make sense? Test drive dating says, listen, I'm not going to change. I am who I am. You take me for who I am, and I need somebody that's going to take me for who I am, and they're going to change for me, and they're going to please me, and they're going to take care of me, and they're going to provide for me, and it's all about selfishness. The Bible backs that up, and secular society backs that up. Test drive dating is all about selfishness. And when you go into a marriage and you don't address this selfishness, it is selfishness at the end of the day that will destroy more marriages than anything else. Be honest with yourself. When was the first time you really realized how selfish you really are? Mine was about 48 hours after I was married. I said, golly, dude, I'm selfish. And now I got a little baby girl on the way, and I'm super mad about all my fishing trips I have to cancel, and I'm going through another stage of selfishness. It's the truth, man. We're selfish. We're selfish people. And when you go into it out of God's point of view and you go into it test drive dating, the whole thing is based off selfishness. Number two, it puts intimacy in front of control. I mean, in front of commitment. Control is not a good thing. It puts intimacy in front of commitment. It says we're going to be sexually intimate. We're going to be emotionally intimate. We're going to be mentally intimate, neurologically intimate. We're going to, even if we, if we go ahead and we go in to live together, we're going to be financially intimate. We're going to be close in every way. And you are so connected, but you have zero commitment. And they say this creates a horrible pattern in people because what you gain the ability to do is to go through that emotional pain 
that emotional chaos, gain those scars and gain those calluses, that makes it easier and easier and easier to walk away when things get difficult. Statistics prove it across the board. You create a habit of walking away when things get difficult. And you lose the ability to truly commit. And number three, and this is something that I was, honestly, I was shocked by. I never thought about it. Test drive dating makes it extremely difficult to walk away, even when you know you need to. One of the things that I kept reading over and over and over and over again, I want you to hear me on this one, because this is going to mess somebody up. I want you to hear me on this one. Over and over and over and over again, as I read, and I called two counselors, I know, one in Tennessee and one in Charlotte, and I said, dude, does this, does this seem right to you? And they said, beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is absolutely accurate. And this is what he said. There are so many couples who act like they are married, most of them living together, and they realize before they get married that this is not the person for me, and they get married anyway in an effort to save the relationship. He says, when you get so financially connected and you get so physically connected and you get so sexually connected and you get so emotionally connected, even when you have those daunting thoughts, even when you realize, dude, he's probably not the one I'm supposed to marry. He's probably not the best choice. You wind up settling and marrying in any way, and many of them in an effort to actually save the relationship they know that isn't meant to be anyway. The one guy from Charlotte, he told me, he said, I can't tell you how many marriage conversations I have, how many counseling marriages I have when they come in here and they both recognized early on in their dating relationships that I realized she probably wasn't the best fit for me. He probably wasn't the best fit for me. Why did you stay together? Because we were so financially connected. We were connected with leases and we were connected with mortgages and we were connected emotionally and maybe we even had a kid and we had all these things going together. We are absolutely 100% connected together and it was just easier to sign the marriage certificate and hope that something one day would change. But the reality of it is, is it doesn't change. It never changes. If it's broke on day one, it's broke on day a 1,000. And at the end of the day, this is the stupidest logic that has been grossed in our culture. And let me tell you who it's affecting. It's affecting you, it's affecting your spouse, and it's affecting the children that show up out of that relationship. And I'm going to tell you something. I care far more about your children and your future children than I do about you, and you can get over it. All right, because I'm the product of divorce. I've grown up in it. I've seen the detriment of it. I know the pain that it feels, and you don't get the right to hurt a child like that, period. If you're super offended by that, maybe we need prayer, you can go ahead and leave because it's only going to get worse. At the end of the day, when something is built in selfishness, founded on selfishness, with your total focus on being pleased and being satisfied, looking for that, and you create habits of walking away, and you create habits of non-committal, and you get so connected. Yes, God can turn a bad thing good. Yes, God can make it good. Yes, God can restore. And I thank him that he does on a regular basis. But at the end of the day, the truth is, most of the time, this doesn't end up well. It just doesn't. Every statistic in the book, man, they may vary up or down, but they're all pretty close together, and they all spell the same picture. This crap doesn't work. The world's way doesn't work. You can argue with me. You can debate with me. You can justify with me. At the end of the day, the Bible doesn't back it up. Sociology doesn't back it up. Divorce statistics don't back it up. You have nothing in your corner except for the fact that, well, I think it is. And it's the human race. We are cursed with our own arrogance to think just because it pops in my head that it must be right. Stupid. 
Desire without knowledge is not good. And whoever makes haste with his feet misses his ways. This right here at the end of the day, Solomon wrote, I think is the source. We take our desire, our desire to not be alone, our desire to see a six-pack, our desire for her legs, our desire for sexual compatibility, our desire for love, our desire for life, our desire for kids, our desire for We let all of our desires come in and we start making super serious, life-altering, life-stopping decisions with zero knowledge. Knowledge about who you really are, knowledge about what you really want in this life, knowledge about who they are, knowledge about who they want in life. We let our desire come in and take over and we have zero knowledge about who we are about to spend the rest of our life with. We come in and we say, you know what? Maybe he's got a little bit of an anger problem, but it's not that bad, dude. I mean, if he's showing a little bit of an anger problem in your first couple of days of dating, man's going to be beating you to death by the time you're 30. We have this fault, especially girls. I don't understand it. I just think I can change him. I can. I can do it. I can change him. Can't change crap can't change nothing. And here's a reality situation. If he or she struggles with it early on, he or she will struggle with it for years to come unless there is a movement from Jesus Christ in their life. We let our desires take over. We throw logic out the window. I mean, how many times have you seen a girl bruises on her face? He didn't mean it. He didn't mean it. I fell down a flight of stairs for the 17th time this year. He didn't mean it. Let me tell you something else. He won't mean to beat your children the same way he's beating you. Uh, she, just, she just, she got a little drunk. She didn't mean to cheat on me. She loves me. Dude, she'll cheat on you over and over and over again. The only difference is you might not find out next time. Or years into it. Dude, we let our desire take over. And we don't have knowledge about who this is. We get blinded by our attraction, blinded by this. We get so emotionally connected so fast in modern dating. That's just the way it is. Dude, if you're just not straddling each other in the first two weeks, it's not even a real relationship. You guys think I'm kidding. Ask your kids. They have half an honest bone in their body. They'll admit it to you. Or here's something even better. Why don't you just think back to when you were a kid? Hypocrite. I'm telling you, man. It's like we get older, we lose. Well, it's like we just, we erase us. <laughs> I'm sure he's not doing that. You were doing it. I mean, that's the reality of it is. Our desire, we throw logic out the window. We throw wisdom out the window. We throw long-term thinking out the window. God says, listen, dude, it's not good. This is what biblical dating is. Biblical dating is founded on preparation to honor Christ by serving your spouse. I want you to write this down. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians 2, chapter 10. I want you to read the entire chapter later when you go home. But Paul, as he's going into Ephesians, and he's getting up to this point, he says, I want you to understand this is about a marriage. Go ahead and go to the next. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Theologians call this mutual submission. He said, you want to know what marriage is about? Marriage is about serving each other, submitting to one another, pleasing each other, out of honor and respect for Jesus Christ. Taking care of your wife, taking care of your husband, respect. And he goes on, he gives specifics. He says, wives, respect and submit to your husbands. Husbands, take care, love your wives, provide for them, protect them. He goes on to compare Jesus Christ 
to the church as a man is to his wife. You're there to protect her and to love her and to help her, to provide for her. And she's there to help you and to love you and respect you. And, and it's, this, it's the idea of this circular servanthood, this circular submission to each other. And you do it out of an effort to glorify God Almighty and to glorify Jesus Christ. That's what marriage is. That's what marriage is. That's what Paul says it is. We're going to get more specific next week. But that's what he says it is. It is. And dating becomes preparation in order for this to be true. And if you're not ready for this, now this is the part nobody's going to like, especially the young people, especially if you brought your girlfriend. I love you. But if you're not ready for this, you're not ready for marriage. And if you're not ready for marriage, you are not ready for dating. You are not ready for dating. If you are not ready to take care of that little girl and to love that little girl the way she deserves, and to protect that little girl the way she deserves, and to provide for that little girl the way she deserves, you're not ready to date her. If you're not ready to love him, take care of him, marry him, you're not ready to date him. See, what we have is we got a lot of kids playing adult games. And it's not an age thing. There's a lot of 30-year-old boys. They're not ready to take care of anybody. They're not ready to marry anybody. They're not ready to provide for anybody. They're so wrapped up in themselves. They're so selfish. They're so lazy. They don't want jobs. They just want to sit at the house all day. They want to be taken care of, live with their parents till they're 50. Right? These are boys. They're not men. And that was the greatest thing. That was probably the hardest thing I had to learn, how selfish I was and how childish I was. And age had nothing to do with it. Dude, he's a son of God. She is a daughter of God. And if you are not ready to love her, protect her, take care of her, you are not ready to date her, period. Now, that's God's way. And I know you don't like that. And I know you're not going to break up. And I know you're going to keep on going. And I know you may not finish this series out. And I know you may change churches. Call me when it goes south. Call me when it ends horribly. And we can talk out the rest of this. Because at the end of the day, you're not even ready to take care of yourself, let alone take care of somebody else. We'll get more to that next week. I'm super excited about it. Dating is dangerous if it is seen than anything other than a reconnaissance mission. I want you to understand biblical dating. Biblical dating is a reconnaissance mission. It is you finding out the knowledge that you need before you let your desire take over. Desire without knowledge isn't good. Dating is a reconnaissance mission to find that knowledge, to find out who they are, not to sleep with them, not to see how they are sexually, not to get so emotionally connected to them you're going to develop scars, not to test the financial partnership, not to live together, not to buy a house together. It is to find out who they are. Find out what they believe in. Find out what they're going to do with their life. Find out what's important to them. Find out what their values are. The Bible says there's two or three things that you need to know. And dating is figuring those things out. And today we're going to spend two, just two, two very important, the most important, two. But what I want you to understand about dating, it is dangerous if you treat it than anything other than a reconnaissance mission. 
If in the first week, man, it's all about making out and it's all about taking it physical and it's all about going down the road, I don't care what you're saying in your brain or what lies you tell out of your mouth. At the end of the day, if that's what it is on the first day, that's what it'll be on the last day. If you build your relationship strictly based off sexual connection, I promise you that is not strong enough to save anything. In fact, it'll make it worse. And when you start treating dating like marriage, you've left the whole point of dating. Dating is not to act like you're married. Dating is to be a, find out and have a reconnaissance mission to find out if this is somebody you want to be connected to like that. That's what dating is. And I'm going to tell you something. You may disagree with me, but I'm, if you think back, there's a lot of people, maybe through your first marriage or maybe through that first serious relationship, you think back and you wish, you know what, I wish I had done a little more reconnaissance. I wish I'd have known a little bit more. I wish I'd explored that anger problem. I wish I'd explored that unfaithfulness problem. I wish I'd explored the fact that he or she lied to me all the time. I wish I, could, I, wish I would have explored the laziness a little bit. I wish I, would explore, I wish I would have known that's what he wanted with his life. I wish I would have known that's what she wanted with her life. That's what dating is. It's a reconnaissance mission. Do you know what happens in war if you don't have a reconnaissance mission? before you have a battle, you don't know what the heck you're walking into. And you could show up with a thousand men, but it doesn't matter if they've got two. You could show up with a whole bunch of weapons, but it doesn't matter if they got tanks and bombs. If you do not have a legitimate reconnaissance mission, you have no idea what you're getting yourself into. And it may cost you years of your life before you figure it out. Dating is dangerous. It is detrimental to your emotions, to your spirituality, to your future relationships if you treat it anything other than reconnaissance. I'm telling you, I told you you wouldn't like it. I told you. First thing you need to look for is spiritual unity. This is huge, man. This is massive. This is where I spent a lot of my time. This is kind of where it was birthed out for me. Spiritual unity. The Bible says this about spiritual unity. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Listen, I don't want any, if you're here this morning and, and you're not a Christian and you don't believe in Christ, I don't want to offend you. I don't, I don't, listen, you want this just as much as Christians want it. I promise. Because if you date a Christian, they're not going to want the same things you want. Righteousness, all that means is what God says is right is right. That's what they believe. And you don't believe a lot of what God says right is right. So what you want out of a relationship, you're probably not going to get. So this is just, just as good positive for you as it is for the Christians. So I just want to listen to. It says, don't be unequally yoked together. You're so dramatically different in the way you view life. You're so dramatically different in the way that you view your finances and the way that you view love and the way that you view sex and, the, and your desires and your values and your principles. It's, so, it's left and right. It's totally different. He says, don't be yoked together. Now, I want to get this because there's this thing that's kind of developed. It's called missionary dating. All right? Sometimes it works, but a vast majority of the time it doesn't. And I've seen this within my own life, within my own family. And I know that there can be some positive things. But at the end of the day, the majority rules. And the majority of the time, it doesn't work out well for the believer, for the Christian. If you're dating somebody... And it is beyond apparent that they do not believe what you believe and that they do not value what you value and they don't think the way that you think and their life is going in an entirely different direction than yours and it's because there is no spiritual unity. Run the freak away from that relationship because it will not end well. 
Paul, when he was talking about friendship and coming to Rome, he, he made this statement. He said, when we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. This is Paul. Okay, there's like God and the, Jesus and the Holy Spirit all up here, and then there's like Paul. And Paul's like, I need the encouragement of your faith, my friends. And if you have faith and they don't, you have zero encouragement in your faith and your relationship. Zero. None. You know something that's going to blow your mind and you're not going to believe me? And I want you to do the research yourself. When you do the research yourself, two, I'm sorry, one out of every 2.2 marriages in this country over the last 50 years ended in divorce. All right? Don't say it out loud, but everybody hold the number one. One out of 2.2, gotcha, can't do it. 2.2 end in divorce. In the mid to late 2000s, there were several major Christian magazines that got together and they did a national survey from all different age groups. And that national survey was all kinds of different things, but the main thing they wanted to find out is what it looked like if a couple who was married went to church together on a weekly basis, read the Bible together at least once on a weekly basis, and prayed for each other at least once on a weekly basis, and what that looked like in their marriage. All marriages, last 50 years, one and 2.2, and then divorce. God is my witness. One out of 1,105 in divorce, if that couple who is married goes to church weekly, prays together weekly, and reads their Bible together weekly. There is power in spiritual unity. There's power in it. And I know that's going to mess somebody up because there's a lot of Christian couples in here, and you're going, ha, 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 ha. pray together weekly? I thought we just did that at church. Read the Bible weekly? What is that? Go to church on a regular basis? <laughs> there's power in spiritual unity. There's power when Christ is at the center of your relationship. There's power in it. So listen, you do the math. Forget, forget God for a second. Just do the math. All right, one out of one, one out of 2.2, or one out of 1,105. Let's say they're only 50% right, one out of 500. Let's say they're only a quarter percent right, one out of 200, almost 300. Dude, if I was a betting man, that would be the ticket right there. Let's go to church, let's read the Bible, do this prayer thing. If I want my marriage to succeed, I got one out of 1,105. Listen, all you're doing, and I'm telling you this, Christians, girls, and guys, if you are in a serious relationship with somebody that is not a believer and you are about to marry them, what you are doing, you are gambling with your life and you are gambling with the lives of your future children. And the odds are one out of 2.2 or one out of 1,105. Don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. Just look at the numbers. Just for a second, look at the numbers. Don't be a fool. Sometimes it isn't about sin. Sometimes it's just about foolishness versus wisdom. Don't be a fool. Spiritual unity is huge. And in my opinion, as pastor of this church, I would tell you, if you ask me, this is a non-negotiable. But what if God's got a great plan to save them after the marriage? God doesn't hate you. God loves you. God's not going to put you in a situation like that. God's not testing you in some weird demonic way. God is good. Okay? Don't be a fool. Non-negotiable. Number two. Oh yeah, it'll always be easier. Number two, 
Purpose and direction. This is huge, man. This is just about as big as spiritual unity. In Amos, he asked one very simple question. He says, how can two people walk together if they can't agree upon a direction? Or some of your Bibles may say, how can, how can two agree to meet if they haven't decided where? Come here, Matt, Deej. Happy birthday, by the way. Sorry I missed your little party last night, man. Was it fun? Yeah. Corny made me put up a stupid fan in the nursery. <laughs> Super excited about that. Come up here. Clearly, they have no idea what's going on. <laughs> Hold hands. Yeah, fingers. I want you to go right. Don't tell anybody. You know where you're supposed to go, right? Yeah. Where? Left. Left, that's right. Go. Okay. Walk forward. And more to the right. You got to make it to the aisles, guys. <laughs> Sit down. Clap for these guys. That's some of your lives. And I'm just being honest with you. That right there, that's some of your lives. You're going in totally different directions, and it's almost too late to stop it. Because you're, maybe you were too young. Maybe you were already acting like you were married, and the commitment was already there. It was just too hard to break away, and you went ahead and got married. Maybe you didn't know him well enough. Whatever the reason is, you didn't do a good reconnaissance mission and you didn't realize that their purpose and their direction in life was totally different than your purpose and your direction and you've got that little battle going on. Or you maybe you're at the beginning of it and you're starting to sense it or maybe you're on the other side of the divorce and you're going, you know what, he was right. There's three things I want you to understand about your life. One, God has given you a very distinct purpose. Can you get your phone? God has given you a very distinct purpose purpose. Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He says, I have created you. I've given you a distinct purpose, and I've got some things I want you to do in this life, and I prepared for you to do these things long before you got here, long before you met him, long before you met her. I put you on this earth for a reason, I put them on this earth for a reason. And you need to figure out whether your reason and their reason are compatible. They sync up together. Because if they're not, there's going to be chaos in your life. Somebody's going to lose. This only ends one of two ways. One, the hands break apart and their lives go completely separate directions. The other one is somebody wins and pulls them into a life they weren't meant to live. You were given a very distinct purpose. Number two, you were given a specific gift, if not multiple gifts. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. First Peter 4.10, you have been given a specific gift to serve humanity, to serve God, to serve the church. And so have they. But sometimes your gift and their gift don't mesh up. They're not compatible. It's not going to work out. It's going to take their life in a different direction than it's going to take yours. And you need to know that early on. You need to know that early on. Third, it says you've got a calling on your life. In Hebrews, it says this. 
Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we have acknowledged as our apostle and our high priest. Hebrews 3.11. You have a heavenly calling on your life, and it primarily begins with focusing on Jesus Christ and serving and following Jesus Christ. And if their focus is in a different direction than yours, there's going to be problems and there's going to be issues. See, there's a lot of people, man, I'm telling you, me and Courtney didn't do a lot of things right, mostly me, truthfully. But one thing we did absolutely 100% right was this. We made 100% sure our purpose and our direction were compatible with one another. And I'm not trying to defend the little breakup we had, but we broke up over it because we weren't sure. And there was a little bit of pain. There was more pain because we didn't listen to the first pass of this message, truthfully. A little bit of pain, a little bit of chaos, a little bit of distraction. When we got back to you, we said 21 days prayer and fasting to make sure she wasn't some evil sinner going one direction, but I knew who I was. I was going to be a preacher. I was going to pastor a church. I was going to speak. That was my purpose. That's my gift. That's my calling. And she needed to find out 100% sure whether or not that was synced with hers and her purpose and her calling. And thank God it did. But there's a lot of you, man, you need to slow down. And you need to really take a look. It's his purpose, his gift, his calling. Does that sync with mine? Does that sync with mine? Because there's a lot of them. The answer is so abundantly obvious, and you know it deep in your heart. See, here's the thing I think about this, is, is, is we know. There's not a lot of us in these situations where we don't know. We know. It's just whether or not we have the guts to pull the trigger. It's just whether or not we're so far in, we're too far deep to get out and turn around and make the hard call. I'm telling you, it's the truth. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the real source of the problem for Christians and believers is that you haven't quite made up your mind whether you're going to serve God in his ways and his wisdom or you're going to go the way of the world. At the end of the day, that's the biggest problem. At the end of the day, that's what's going to cost you your marriage. At the end of the day, that's what's going to lead you down a path of marrying somebody you probably shouldn't have married. Elijah, I know this is a little long, but I want you to listen. Elijah um, had the situation. People of Israel, people of Israel in 1 Kings, they had, they had gone very, very, very close to Baal, and they started to serve Baal, and they hadn't quite left God. But they were just going back and forth. Whatever suited them that day, they're going back and forth between God and between Baal, between God and between Baal, between God and between Baal. Finally, God had enough of it. God said, "Gather all the people." Told Elijah, "Gather all the people. Get on Mount Carmel. Gather all the prophets of Baal. We're going to put this bed. We're going to put this to rest. We're going to put it to bed." So he gathers all the people of Israel together, and he sets them there on Mount Carmel. And he gathers all the prophets of Baal, and he sets them down. And he turns to the people of Israel, and he says this statement. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And the people said nothing. How long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you waver between the ways of God and the ways of the world? How long will you waver between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world? How long will you waver? There's literally in that Hebrew, he rolls up a thing of standing on two branches and going back and forth. If you don't stop wavering, you will never find stability in this life, period. At the end of the day, I don't think we have nearly the marriage problem as we have the dating problem. 
But I think the dating problem rests in the fact that there's a lot of believers who spend their life, their teenage years, their college years, their dating years, wavering back and forth between two opinions, wavering back and forth between am I going to do it God's way or am I going to do it the world's way? Am I going to do it the way God wants me to do it or am I going to do it the way the world wants me to do it? Am I going to follow God's wisdom as I'm going to believe in righteousness or am I going to go here and do my own thing? At the end of the day, that's the problem. That's the problem that exists within dating. That's the problem that exists within many areas of your life. That's the problem that exists when the problems in your marriage. At the end of the day, many of us spend our lives wavering between two branches of Baal and the branches of God. The branches of this world and the branches of Jesus Christ. And so I stand here before you today, much like that day, and I'm telling you, I don't care who you're dating. I don't care who you're married to. I don't care who you're living with. I don't care. I don't judge anybody for nothing. I love you all the same. But I'm telling you right now, if you are a believer and Jesus Christ is Lord, for the love of all that is holy, serve him with all of your heart or walk the other freaking direction. Because you are going to cost yourself so much in this life, wavering back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. If you are a Christian, follow Christ. If you are not, go the way of the world and whatever happens, happens. But I can guarantee you, if you waver back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, you will never find stability in this life. And it does not matter who you date. It does not matter how hot he or she is. It does not matter the job they've got. It doesn't matter the retirement plan they got. It doesn't matter where they went to school, how smart they are. It does not matter. Some of us just need to grow up and serve the God we believe in. And stop throwing him around and out the first time Mr. Sixpack shows up. The first time the money shows up. The first time there's some hot girl interested in you. Dude, grow up, get some courage, get some guts, and follow Jesus Christ. Or don't. I've said this a time that people hate my guts for it. God said, listen, let me tell you something. There's a narrow road and there's a big, long, wide road. There's no such thing as a middle road. Some of you just need to grow up and need to follow Jesus with all your heart. Or everything else is mute. Everything else is void. doesn't matter. So that's my encouragement to you this morning. Serve the God you believe in because he is a great, almighty, powerful, strong, majestic, virtuous, just, holy God who loves you and created you and will take you to places you never thought you could go, give you a marriage you never thought you could have, show you what life is really supposed to be about, but you will never experience it if you waver between the two. At the end of the day, what you want the most can only come from God. That's the biggest part of this whole thing. That's the greatest joke the enemy plays on you. He dangles all this crap in front of you, and he cannot deliver what you want the most. Only God can. But you will trade it for the stupidest reasons. And the reason I know you'll do it is because I do it. So my encouragement, my plea to you, if you're a believer, follow the God you believe in. And here's the deal. A lot of you, you've done it your way, and it hadn't worked out, has it? You've done it your way, you've done it the world's way, and it hadn't worked out. What do you have to lose by trying it God's way? What do you have to lose? You have nothing to lose and everything to gain by giving yourself to God wholly and completely and allowing God to build the house of your life.
you guys will stand with me.